Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Excited to be with you this morning and to have the opportunity to preach God's word. That is a gift. I don't take that lightly. And uh, at the same time, I am keenly aware that without the Holy Spirit moving and working, it'll all be utterly useless. And so if you could do me a favor as I preach, if you would just pray that God would move in your life and in the lives of those around you and that our church would look different when we walk out of here today, more like Jesus, more in love with Christ, more in love with his word, reaching out to lost and broken people, bringing the kingdom of God here. That's what we need. We need things that will echo from this morning on into eternity. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, open them up to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at a very familiar parable of Jesus, probably the most familiar parable of Jesus. You've heard this before, I would say. Most people, even those outside of the church, have heard this story. Charles Dickens said it's one of the greatest short stories ever written. We can dive deep into it and we can draw out riches, but it's simple enough that a child can understand it. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And this morning, what I want to do as we look at it is I want to frame it around the question of what will make you happy? What will make you happy? We spend a lot of time searching for joy. And and we'll buy things and we'll go to places and we'll eat food searching for joy. We'll have achievements Whatever it is, we are always trying to find a way to be happy. So this past week, a couple of weeks ago, Bennett, our middle child, had his uh, sixth birthday. And we're going to have a party for him. And he has been talking for about a year, maybe a year and a half now, that he wants a dirt bike for his birthday. An electric dirt bike. Some other kids on the street have one. They're very expensive. So we're like, you know what, we're not going to do that. But the grandparents said we want to give and donate so that we can get this dirt bike for Bennett. Spoil them a little bit. Thank you, grandparents. So they buy it. And I spend all night before his birthday party putting it together and charging it in the garage. I cover it up with a big blanket. It's in the garage, ready to go for his birthday party. He wakes up that morning and he says, I just really want that dirt bike. And Amber, trying to throw him off the scent, says, well, you know, you may get it, but you may have to wait till Christmas. I don't know. Well, Bennett did not like that answer. He starts getting angry. What do you mean I have to wait till Christmas? I can't wait till Christmas. I want it now. This is my birthday. And me being the loving, kind father that I am from the other room, I say, you know what, Ben? We might just cancel your birthday, you know? And and (laughs) it was the wrong thing to say. He says, well, then I'm out of here. He puts on his shoes. He walks out the door. He says, I'm I'm gone. And in our mind, we're thinking, He's, he's Bennett, you know, he's, he's currently five, about to turn six. He t- threatens to run away all the time. He's not going anywhere. So we take about 30 seconds before we walk outside to follow him. And when we do, we realize he is gone. We, we look around the yard, in the garage, we're yelling. We've got neighbors involved. Bennett is nowhere to be found. So I grab Bryson, I throw him in the front of my truck, which is illegal because he's three, and we get on the neighborhood roads and and I'm not going to lose two sons, so I'm going to have him with me, right, as we go on this, this search for Bennett. 
and Bennett had run. I found him four streets away going out of the neighborhood and he's just living his best life on the sidewalk, free, looking for a better home. (laughs) So I pull over the truck and I go get Bennett. And he told the neighbor later, they said, hey, what were you gonna do when you get hungry? He said, I was gonna just knock on somebody's door and ask if they would feed me. I thought, well, at least he had a plan. And then I was just amazed by that, knowing already that this text of scripture of the prodigal son was coming up and being reminded in that story about how often our human heart wants to run to other things for joy. It's not good enough where I am, I'm gonna go. And that's what we see in the prodigal son story. We need to set the context for this a little bit before we stand and read this passage. And so this is a response to the Pharisees' rebuke of Jesus. Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem, heading towards the cross. He's towards the end of his ministry. And it says that all of the sinners and tax collectors were coming to him. Now, obviously we know that that's hyperbolic. We, don't, we know that all were not, but so many were that it appeared that everybody was flocking to Jesus. And it wasn't just that they were coming to Jesus. It says that he was receiving them and eating with them. And the word for receive means to receive eagerly. And so Jesus is not just saying, yeah, okay, come in. I'm not, around. I'm not supposed to talk to you, but come in the side door and I'll, I'll talk to you about what's going on. He's opening up the front door, and he's saying, come in. He's celebrating them openly, fellowshipping with them, and the Pharisees have an issue with it. You see, everything about the Pharisees is that they know that you are not to walk with sinners. You're probably thinking about Psalm 1.1. says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And they, they think, you're not supposed to have anything to do with these people. These outcasts who have walked away and pursued sin and have rebelled against their own people, these tax collectors who are funding an oppressive government who's ruling over God's people, how dare Jesus receive them? But he does. And in response to their frustration, Jesus shares three parables, a parable meaning a fictional story meant to to show a point of truth. And the first one he shares of the lost sheep where the shepherd had a hundred sheep. One goes missing and he leaves the 99 and he pursues the one. When he finds it, he brings it back and he throws a party. He celebrates. And then he shares the parable of the lost coin where we have a lady who lost one of her 10 coins and when she realizes it, she sweeps the entire house in an almost unreasonable fashion to find this coin. And when she finds it, she celebrates and throws a party. And Jesus says, just like this, when one sinner repents and comes to me, God celebrates. God throws a party. God receives them eagerly. And then we get to the climax of this set of parables in the prodigal son, which is really the lost sons would be a good way to look at it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Get there to Luke 15, 11, and stand with me. We're going to read the first section of this story this morning. It 
Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into the far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So treat me as one of your hired servants. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and just need to be aware that there is a reason why you reveal yourself in Scripture as a father. Lord, we can so easily believe that you do not want what's best for us. We can so easily believe that it would be better to live a godless life away from accountability and that that would bring us some sort of joy that you do not possess. But God, as we see, we can also believe that we deserve to be in your house. That our pride will give us the joy that we want. So would you remind us this morning that it has nothing to do with our worthiness. It has everything to do with the worthiness of Jesus Christ, your son. And when we leave this place reminded that he is perfect for us so that we get to be adopted into your family. So I pray for those that are here that are wandering. God, would you use this text of scripture to call them back to repentance. And I pray for those that have always stayed trying to earn your favor. God, would you remind them that it is freely given to those that don't deserve it. God, we love you. We need you. Would your spirit meet us here? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Three points for us this morning as we look at this parable, how we can take it away and what it means, specifically with what it means with what's going to make us happy. The first thing that we can easily lean into, that we see the younger son lean into, is the deception of worldly pleasures. The deception of worldly pleasures. Something in this life is going to satisfy me. When we meet the, the younger son, 
we're almost amazed that he's the first one to speak. He shouldn't have been. The father should have been the first one to speak in this culture. But here's the younger son who breaks into this story and speaks first. And he goes to the father and he says, hey, I want what's coming to me. The inheritance that I'm going to get when you die, I want it now. And in essence, what he's telling his father is, I would rather have your stuff than your presence. Give me what is owed. The father shockingly listens. And he divides up the inheritance between the older son and the younger son. We know from Deuteronomy 21, 17, that the older son would have received two thirds of whatever the father owned. And here, assuming that there are no other siblings and they're not listed, and we need to remember that this is a fictional account in Jesus's mind, so they don't exist. The younger son would have received one third of all that the father owned. And so the father gives him his inheritance early. And the younger son says, I'm tired of waiting on you to die. Just give me what's coming to me. And we're told that he gets all of his stuff together, which almost has this, this nuance of he converted it all to cash. So if he was given any property, he sold it. He got everything together and he ran into the far country and he squanders it in sinful living. I think it's a pretty significant that he chooses to leave home and go into the far country where he's not known and he can pretend to be somebody he's not. He doesn't have any accountability and he didn't just go headlong into this sin. And as he's there, it says that he wasted all of it. In fact, prodigal, what prodigal means is reckless or wasteful. He's the wasteful son. And he uses up all that he had and runs out of money. He finds himself in a hard spot. You might be tempted to say, well, okay, there's his problem. He ran out of money. That's it. The issue is not that he tried to find joy in worldly pleasures, but the issue is he wasn't rich enough. Maybe if he had more and he had to run out, then the game would have continued and he would have continued to find his happiness within things. And let me just tell you, you were created with an eternal hole in your heart. A desire for something so great that only worshiping the one true God and being loved by the one true God will fill it. It doesn't matter how much stuff you buy. It doesn't matter how much time you spend traveling. It doesn't matter what relationships you have, what you eat, what you drink. In the end, if you find your joy and your hope in that, you will feel empty. We're taking gifts and we're making them God's. Things that God gave us. God created pleasure, by the way. I don't know if you know that. That was like his idea. He could have, he could have made food with no taste and you would go to Chick-fil-A and you would be like, bah, I'm alive a little bit longer, right? But he chose to create a world where the food that we ate has taste and you can experience the goodness of it. Why? Why did God create a world with pleasure? Because those things were meant to be good gifts that point us to the giver. And here the younger son, he runs and he tries to find all of his hope and he runs out of money. A way that I would say this is more of what doesn't work won't work. <laughs> I know that's simple and that's silly, but it's so true. More of what doesn't work won't work. 
Amber and I, we love going to theme parks. I, I talked about that last time I got to preach. We, we love going on riding roller coasters. And there was an event at Universal Studios last year that we thought, man, that would be so fun for us. We would really enjoy it. It's called the Orlando Informer. And it's an it's a event where they close down the park and, and they get rid of all the normal day guests uh, and they let you come in. And so there's not a lot of weight on the rides and there's unlimited food. And I thought, oh man, this is amazing. And they're open until 1 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, oh, we get to stay so long. We get to eat all the food. You just walk up and grab it and walk away. You get to ride all the rides. If we love Universal, maybe we will love this more. This seems like the best way to experience it. And we went and we convinced some of our good friends to go with us. And we're there that night and, and somebody hands you a churro. And you grab the churro and you eat it and you get on a roller coaster. That's a bad idea, Right. I know, I know we thought, I don't know why we didn't reason out. You know, unlimited food and unlimited roller coasters, that's not a good idea. But for some reason, we thought this is, this is going to be okay. And so we ate food and we, we went on rides. We started feeling awful. And Amber and I, man, we are lightweights when it comes to bedtime. We're like 9 p.m. We want to be asleep. And, and so 9.01 p.m. and we're exhausted. And everybody else around us is just having a good time. We're thinking, why did we do this? Why did we pay all of this money to come here? But you know what we did? We kept eating and we kept riding rides and we got more and more miserable until finally we said, we've had enough. We're anxious. We feel awful. We got to go. I should have known after the first churro and roller coaster that that wasn't going to be a good night for me. But for whatever reason, I thought, well, maybe if I just had more, maybe if I just ate more food, rode on more rides, we do the same thing all the time to the Lord. You know, I got some, a raise and now I need another raise. I need more money. If I just had more money, I would be satisfied. But if you're not satisfied with what you have, that's not fulfilling you. More of it is not going to do it. You need to find your joy in the Father. That's the only place. That's the only place that never runs dry, never runs out. Because even if your money never runs out, your time will. And on your deathbed, you will not be thankful for all the boats that you own. You're going to think about how did you spend your life? What relationships do you have? And more importantly, where are you going? What does eternity hold for you? The deception of worldly pleasures is always after us. Do you know that there's 2.3 billion square feet of storage units in the United States, 2.3 billion square feet of storage units. We are addicted to stuff. We have so much of it, we have to pay to store it somewhere else so we can get more stuff. We have a hole in our heart and we're trying to fill it up with all of the wrong things. And here, this younger son is doing the same. We're not told what all he spent his money on. We're told in verse 30 that he squandered it on prostitutes. So we know that was a part of what he spent his money on. We would assume there's other fleeting pleasures that he ran into, maybe bought some friends, maybe gambled it away, but it's gone. He expected it to give him joy and it left him broken. And it's not much different than the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. Here's the apple. I'd rather have creation than the creator. And I love the kindness of God in this text where it says, once he had spent everything in verse 14, a severe famine arose. After everything was gone, a famine comes. God in his sovereignty within this parable waited until he was empty to send the famine. 
to allow the famine to hit him. Because maybe, he, if not, without that timing, maybe he would have gone and relied on his money to get him through the famine, but he couldn't do it. So he hires himself out to a citizen, a Gentile, who sends him into the fields with pigs. And as a Jew, he's now surrounded by these animals that are unclean. And he looks at what they're eating and he desires to eat it. He's breaking bread with the swine. But no one gives him anything. In other words, the pigs are richer than he is in this moment. He has hit rock bottom. Some of you have been there. Where you've hit rock bottom. That's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. Because we see what happens is that in verse 17, the son came to himself, came to his senses. Sign of repentance. And he goes back and he says, I know my father has servants who live better than this. So he prepares his speech to return home and I'm gonna tell him I'm not worthy to be your son. Make me a servant. And he runs back home. And when the father sees him, he moves. Look at verse 20. And when he arose, he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be your son. And so he shares this story that he's already been built up. You've had that moment where you've been in trouble and you're thought, this is what I'm going to say when I get back. And, and the father doesn't even let him finish. He doesn't even let him finish. It says, the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. For this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father runs in a symbol of overwhelming grace. Just as Jesus is eagerly receiving the sinners and tax collectors who are repenting. He's not doing that because he's saying they're okay. And it's okay that they remain in their sin. In fact, just in Luke 14, he said, you've got to renounce all that you have to follow me. So he is preaching repentance. But these people who have been in the far country say, that's actually true joy. And so they flock and they run and they find eager awaiting the son. Here we find the father who runs in overwhelming grace, would not typically see a Jewish man run. He had every right just to banish the son, kick him out of the house. But instead, when he's still a long way off, he pursues him. He runs after him. He chases him down and he gives him the best robe. Not just any robe, the best robe. He gives him a ring to symbol his authority as a son. He gives him sandals to say, you are not a servant. You belong in this family. And then they celebrate. We got several texts, I got several texts this week saying, hey, I want you to know, we just had a student in chapel come to faith in Jesus Christ. Pastor Mike preached, did a phenomenal job on Thursday, freshman girl student, hears it, finds a counselor, gives her life to Jesus. I get a text last night, yesterday, 
from Matt Mercer that somebody that we have been praying for for a while, another one of our students, hey, he just gave his life to Jesus. He's gonna get baptized soon. He is ready. Thank you for praying. We've been praying around our pastor's table for this young man. We should celebrate. The Father celebrates those things. How amazing it is that we are seeing people cross over from death to life, from the temporary to eternal life. The Father throws a party for him. Do we have the same heart for the lost in this church? When people walk in, and maybe they don't look like us, maybe they're not acting like us, maybe they've been wandering, we know it. We know that they've been in the far country. Is our prayer that they would see that the Father has open arms and is pursuing them. See, the Son thought that his status with the Father was earned and not given. I'm not worthy. And the Father says, it's not about you being worthy. The deception of worldly pleasures. Number two, we also need to look at the older son, the desire for worldly pride, the desire for worldly pride, starting in verse 25, says, now his older son was in the field and as he came, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound, received him eagerly. But he was angry and he refused to go in and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed you, your command. And yet you never gave me even a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not my brother, this son of yours, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. The older brother responds in anger. I've always been here. I've always listened. I've always done the right thing. You've never celebrated me like this. I have served you for all of these years and he refuses to celebrate his brother. It's amazing to me a few things. It's amazing that the, the older brother, number one, when the younger brother left, he didn't go chase him down. That's pretty staggering. I hope that I'm raising some boys that if one of them runs off four streets away, the other one's like, I'm gonna go get him, right? But the older brother, he didn't care. He was more upset that the calf was killed than he was happy that his brother was alive. That's how deep in his pride he was. And he tells the father, I've served you all of these years. I've been the proper son. And you hear it in his language, just like the younger brother assumed his status with the father was earned and not given. I'm not worthy to be your son. The older brother said, I am worthy to be your son. I have earned my status here. And he sees himself as a servant of the Father. So let me ask you a question. Where do you fit in this narrative? Where are you drawn to? 
Are you drawn to running off to the deceptions of worldly pleasures? Are you prone to lean into the desire for worldly pride? I just want to be well thought of. In my life, my story, I've dealt with, with both of those. Um, I grew up in church. My dad as a pastor in Middle Tennessee. I knew all the right things. I was well taught the word. I memorized scripture. I found myself in Awana earning like a general patent walking around with all of my medals, right? I got my Awana bucks and I walked in and I, I bought the clear CD player and thought no one else has this, you know? Look at me. I won the Timothy Award, which I don't even know why they call it the Timothy Award, but I was very proud to receive it on stage at my church and I, I was all in. I told every time my sister did something wrong, it was amazing. Pride, self-righteous, I'm gonna do the right thing. And that worked for a season until mom got sick when I was in middle school, began to struggle with bipolar, depression, up and down. Dad leaves his church to take care of mom in my world, got turned upside down into chaos. And resentment started building up in me, but I continued just to, well, I'm just gonna do the right thing, I guess. Till sophomore year of high school, knock on the door while I'm sitting in geometry. My dad's outside with the headmaster at the time because my mom took her life. Many of you have been at this church and walked with our family throughout all of that. And in that moment, Anger welled up in me. And I became, I've done all this for you, God. You owe me, and here you are. You've abandoned me. And it led to a season of running off as the prodigal son into sin. And maybe, maybe there's another way to be satisfied then. If he's not gonna come through for me then, then I'm just gonna run to the world. And through the encouragement of some faithful men, and the Holy Spirit's prompting. I'm sitting in the kitchen at my stepmom's house and I'm watching a sermon on Isaiah chapter six from Louis Giglio. And he talks about the difference between knowing a lot about God and truly experiencing him. And I crumble and I come to my senses and I repent of my sin and faith came in. It was grace. It was the Holy Spirit moving and working but I was both of these sons before I got there. So where do we find our joy? If it's not in worldly pleasure, if it's not in worldly pride, then where is it? It's in one simple place and the only place you'll ever get it. It's in the delight of the Father. It's in the delight of the Father. The Father says, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. See, both of these sons were meant to find their joy in being in the presence of the Father, being with him. That was the point. Now, how? How can the Father receive back this prodigal son? How can Jesus receive back these sinners and tax collectors? How can he offer grace to the, the older brother? How is that possible? Because God is just, he is holy. So how is it possible that he could do this for us? It's because there is another son and it's the one telling the story. 
And he is the perfect son of God. You see, Jesus could embrace sinners because he would soon embrace the suffering of the cross. He knew it was coming. He was headed towards the cross where he would bear the weight of the sin of all of those that have gone into the far country, of all of those that thought their pride would earn them status with him. He bore the weight of all of that sin on the cross and he paid the cost of God's wrath in full, defeating sin and defeating death. And he rose from the dead three days later so that all who would turn to him would be forgiven would be saved, would find their joy in him alone. Not because they don't deserve it and they're coming trying to prove their worth, not because you do deserve it, but because no one could because perfection is the standard, but there is a perfect son who came on a rescue mission. Luke 19, Jesus says himself, this is the reason I came. I came, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. And sometimes we just Forget that. And I forget it. And I fall into this pattern of believing that I have to do something. I've got to be good enough to earn the salvation that God has given me. And he says, hey, stop worrying about serving me and just be willing to sit with me. It's great to know that you love me, but do you also know that I love you, that God loves you? that he, he knew you were going to be a train wreck. He knew all the things that you would run after. And even before you were born, he chose to go to the cross to offer you forgiveness of your sin. Radical love in the Father. See, it's not about your worthiness. It's about the Father's worthiness. He alone is the place where we can find our joy, delighting in his presence. Alistair Begg who many of you probably know as a pastor. He's Scottish. He talks about the man on the middle cross, if you've seen that video. Uh, our staff read a book called Pray Big that he wrote. And he has a quote in the fifth chapter of that book where he talks about what it's going to be like when we get into heaven. Here's what Alistair Begg says. I'll close with this. He says, Believer, God is very excited about seeing you. You will not sneak into heaven through a back door quietly, and have God tolerate you for eternity, but you will be welcomed in through the front door with a party and have God enjoy you as you enjoy him for eternity. What an amazing thought. God is excited to see you, not because you've earned it, because Christ has earned it on your behalf. So as the band comes up, we're gonna have a time of response and invitation. There's several ways that we might be called to respond to this passage of Scripture. Obviously, if you are in a place in your life as a prodigal where you're running and you're pursuing sin and you think that that sin is somehow going to satisfy you, then this text of Scripture would be used to call you back to say, the Father has open arms. He's ready to receive you. He's ready to forgive you. What does salvation require? It requires repentance and faith, and that's it. And God does the rest. 
And if you take a step to him this morning, he will run after you. When I saw Bennett Russell Thomas four streets down the road this morning or last week, I did not wait until he walked back home on his own. I ran to him. I threw that truck in park. I abandoned my young son and I ran to Bennett. And if you choose to turn to him this morning, he will run to you with grace and forgiveness and he will give you joy that goes beyond anything else this world could offer you. And maybe you find yourself more in the seat of the older son, believing that you have to earn God's love and you just need to sit and rest in his presence. He has done all things so that you don't have to. We get to obey, we get to follow. Maybe you need to be reminded that he is worthy. You just need to sit. When dad was struggling with his illness, going with Lewy body dementia, he had a massive decline and he ended up in a nursing home. And while he was in there, there was COVID restrictions and we weren't allowed to actually go in. So we would go and we would put a chair and we would sit by his window, open up and just try to talk to him through a screen. And I remember the first night that he was in this facility, nobody's staying with him. Betsy can't be with him. I can't be with him. And he calls me and he's not able to do a lot with his phone because he's so confused. But he, he, somehow he calls me and he says, Brian, I need you to do something. I said, okay, what do you need? He said, will you copy Psalm 1 and text it to me? I want to read it. And I can't figure out how to get it open. And in that moment of being alone, what dad wanted most was to sit in the presence of God's word and be reminded of his goodness. And maybe we need that. I want to be like that. So desperate that I would call in the middle of the night and say, hey, will you send me this scripture? I need need to be with the Lord. So whatever your response is, I pray that the Holy Spirit is working on you and that our church would be a church that is known for celebrating the lost being found. So let's pray and then we will respond. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.